Over the past 30 years, I've had the chance to observe and learn from people who are highly effective at making disciples. I've also spent those years studying Jesus, the most effective disciple maker of all time. What are the secret traits these disciples have that others lack? That's the focus of a new series we're doing here on the podcast. I'll be talking with experienced disciple makers about traits that often get overlooked when it comes to being effective at training the next generation. Today, I'm joined by John Snyder for a conversation around the first trait we'll be spotlighting, the willingness to challenge others and risk the relationship. John has spent the past 20 years making disciples, and he's one of the most effective disciple makers I know. So it's a privilege to have him on the show and to get his thoughts on this topic. I hope this conversation and the series helps you become more effective as a disciple who makes disciples. Welcome, John, back onto the show. It's uh, great to have you. I'm excited about what you and I are going to be talking about today. So thanks for coming on. You and I have both had pretty rare experiences where I, I, the older I get, the more I appreciate that I had someone who was willing to take years investing in me and discipling me. And so today we're going to start a new series on the secret traits of highly effective disciple makers. Um, I'm glad to talk with you because I know this is something you've given the last two decades of your life, two plus decades of your life to making disciples. It's something that I've given my adult life to. We've studied disciple makers from the scriptures. We've had disciple makers in our own life. And so, um, yeah, thanks for coming on and uh, being willing to talk about the first in this series of, of podcast videos. Yeah, great being with you, Andrew. And you are exactly right. You know, from even from our parents early on, I think about just your parents' investments in you spiritually, my parents investing in me spiritually, but then also God putting us at the right place at the right time with so many people who loved us and really wanted to invest in us. We're pretty fortunate people uh, to have uh, folks who've invested in us through the years. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. What th the point of this series is that you and I have both been able to have like a front row seat to effective disciple makers. And over the years, we've observed that there are some traits that you find in people who are effective at making disciples that are often missing from other leaders. And I'm, I'm talking about leaders in the church, whether those were would be pastors or elders or people that you might look at and, and think highly of, but you don't necessarily see disciples coming out of their lives. So what are the traits that differentiate between those who are effective at making disciples and uh, others who are, are great people and doing good work, but not necessarily effective at making disciples. So I hope this series is, is helpful for people, that it gives them something to think about. And honestly, that they go back to the scriptures and began to begin to look for these traits in Jesus, especially but other effective disciple makers that you see in the New Testament in particular. Yeah. Amen. I, we, we hope that what you, you've already kind of got a baseline understanding of what's true of a disciple. And if that's true, kind of the Jesus memory has those three very clear passages in the book of John. This is my disciple. If you abide in the word, John eight thirty one and 32, this is the, my disciple. If they are committed to one another and love other believers, committing to believers, my and my disciples are committed to bearing fruit. 
Um, that's kind of a baseline understanding of what Jesus defines as a disciple and what we give away as disciple makers. That's kind of a 101 level skill if you're thinking at kind of college and beyond. We're really beginning to talk about 301 level skills, folks that we've seen their lives over and over again, fruit flowing over out of their lives. That's really what this series is about. I think it's going to be a really fun one, and I hope it really does spur all of us on. So I'm looking forward to kind of talking about some of those 201, 301 level skills. I agree completely. So these are things to keep in mind if you're being discipled, but they're also things to be aware of as you're growing as a disciple maker. So none of us uh, are necessarily where we need to be at the beginning, but these are traits that you can purposely cultivate uh, as you're growing in your faith and as you're seeking to make disciples and the years are, are passing by. So the first one that we're going to talk about, the first secret trait of highly effective disciple makers is challenging disciples and risking the relationship. The willingness of the disciple maker to challenge those that he's discipling and not just challenge them in a, in a casual way, but truly risking the relationship, basically pushing all the chips in and being, well, being willing to lose that, that relationship or that connection with the young disciple in order to challenge that younger believer to grow into maturity in their faith. Yeah, this is a good one. I've heard this phrase uh, used when it comes to this topic. Um, in fact, we have a common mentor um, who's who's with the Lord now named Jim Downing. But he described this trait itself. They, used, they said He said they used to call it the killer instinct, mm -hmm. that I'm willing to give away my relationship with you so that you might walk more closely to the Lord and you could be more of who you're supposed to be in Jesus. And that they, he said that that was something that they always looked for in their men, that they were, that they had the killer instinct. They're willing to say hard things when it mattered hmm. for the benefit of the people around them, knowing that it might even cost them a relationship or at least create some pretty serious waves. So we're going to talk about the killer instinct today. <laughs> um, and I, that's going to be, that's going to be a pretty big one. Well, I hope that people listening will immediately, like, even as we're talking about it and, and even as we've both received it and uh, offered it to others, it isn't something that is easy. It's not, most people don't enjoy challenging. I, I think there are probably some people that find it a little bit easier than others, but for most of us, this is not something that comes natural. It's not something that we enjoy doing. And it's also something that it, it could be seen as actually a negative thing. Like, why would you, why would you push someone to such a point that they would be willing to, to walk away from the, the training relationship? So let's talk about that just briefly, John, before we jump into our own experiences and how we've, we've benefited from being challenged in that way. What are some of the reasons that you think people don't learn to develop this, this killer instinct? Yeah, you, you know, I, for lack of a better way to describe it, you know, we have a we have a picture in our mind of what Christians are supposed to look like, and at all costs, it's be nice. You know, the, for some reason, the Great Commission and um, what we've been called to as believers is not actually to be on mission for Christ and proclaiming the gospel, and it says just just be nice people. So, part of what we're talking about when it comes to these two hundred one three hundred one level skills is how do we ensure that we're everything a disciple ought to be, and we're not just taking the culture and letting the culture frame up what a disciple maker is. So we have to find a, a pretty normal kind of description of Christians. You know, 
no one watches The Simpsons anymore. I don't even know if it's on live <laughs> anymore. But you know, it's kind of the Ned Flanders, "Howdy doodly, buddy, neighbor," or whatever. Just the the narrative on Christians is this very kind, almost goofy, mm. fun loving person. Um, when the scriptures are just full of all kinds of very difficult conversations that happen yeah. in order that people might more faithfully proclaim His word. So. I think we've probably flip-flopped some of what our characteristics of a Christian ought to be. And one of those is we just put be kind at the top of the list. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it it also is, it just requires courage. So even if we do realize that, hey, this is a good thing, I should do it. Um, I know that it would benefit this person if they they heard this hard truth. And if if I challenge them to take the next step that they know they need to take, it still requires courage on my part. And, you know, disciple, you know, true disciple making is a highly relational um, activity. And so there's a great, there's a great risk to yourself as well. So when we're talking about risking the relationship, it's not just that um, the, the, this younger believer might walk away from the discipling relationship, but at many, many times we have invested um, heavily in this person, both in terms of time and energy and our, our emotion. We, we've put our heart into people that we were discipling. And the idea of, of risking all of that um, is something that requires a lot of courage on our part. So there's a lot that we probably need to, to dive in on with this one. Um, I don't want to necessarily immediately caveat it, um, but just know that we're not talking about being a jerk or um, getting some sort of um, weird um, excitement out of challenging people. Like challenging people, it needs to be a, a normal part of the discipling relationship, but it shouldn't necessarily be the main uh, experience that people are getting from us. So challenging the way we're talking about today, it needs to be timed and appropriate um, it needs to be worth risking the relationship. These are, these are issues that um, we, we need to address with disciples so that they can push through and, and grow to full maturity in Christ, not just something that we're doing haphazardly or um, because we enjoy it. Well, it just, it, you know, everything we do is an act of obedience and, it, and it's not without the, you know, the prompting of the Holy Spirit and, and really you know, that's, that's this underlying secret trait of a disciple maker of master disciple makers is their connection with the Lord and the Holy spirit. We'll talk about that a little bit in the Mm -hmm. end, but all of these things are very measured and prayerful, thoughtful rather than, well, everybody just needs to walk around rebuking everybody um, and challenging each other. Like you said, being a jerk to one another. So um, it's a very thoughtful, reflective uh, part of a disciple maker's life. You and I had talked a little bit before we started recording, and you had mentioned the passage out of First Thessalonians 2, I believe it was, with Paul as he described his relationship with the believers there in uh, Thessalonica. And he, he compared his relationship and his, his mindset towards them as both a mother and a father. Um, what were some of your thoughts on that, John? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Um, a disciple maker is someone who's aware and who's attentive. Um, and, and really, that's why we use the phrase life on life. That's why we say we're sharing life together. Uh, some people talk about a man to man or a woman to woman. But really, that's almost like a business meeting. That's kind of turning disciple making into just kind of a business interaction where you might do some coaching, where you might just kind of come along, you know, once a week. 
But that's not how Paul described his relationships with the Thessalonians. You know, so if, if you think about a nursing mother, she's highly attentive <laughs> to her baby. She right. knows what the baby needs, when the baby needs it. Um, and then right directly thereafter, he also says in verse, this is first Thessalonians chapter two, like you said, but verse 11, he says, you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And so same thing, a father is attentive and, but he's also calling the best out of his, out of his children. But what strikes me the most about the whole passage is, um, we loved you so much. We didn't just give you the message. We didn't just give you the gospel. This is verse eight. Um, but we shared our own lives, ourselves with you, everything about us. Right. So this, this secret trait we're talking about is you actually can negate all of the life on life that you do with the people around you. If it never draws you to be attentive with them and it never draws you to, to be like a mom or a dad who's a, who's actually bringing truth at the right time to the right people. So um, if you're familiar with the phrase life on life and you're doing life on life with your disciples, if it doesn't include comforting them like a mom would, if it doesn't include challenging and charging them to walk in a manner worthy of God, you're not, it's not all that life on life, life on life ministry is meant to be. Mm. We're highlighting that father portion, right? Mm -hmm. What's it look like to exhort, challenge and charge mm -hmm. uh, the disciples in our lives to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and of God, the father and Jesus, his son. I love that because it really highlights that the the relationship of a disciple maker with those that they are discipling is one where the disciple maker is willing to sacrifice their own comfort, whether that's because they're they're in tune with the needs of those that they're discipling, whether that's because they're giving up their own um, their own space, their own uh, comfort. Uh, or because they're willing to put themselves in a difficult position, which is what we're talking about today. They're willing to, to give a challenge because all of it is oriented towards what the needs and what's, what's best for the person being discipled. So the disciple maker, they're, they're giving of themselves and they're doing it for the sake of this younger believer that they're investing in. And so if you have those as your framework that you're challenging out of that place, that you're in the relationship that you're describing, John, a relationship where you're giving of yourself and you're doing it for the sake of the person being discipled. Those are some great guardrails that will keep you from challenging in inappropriate ways. So I guess that's, that's probably fair enough. Like if, if people are, if they're coming from that place, then, then your challenge is, is in the best position of being received the way that that we want it to be received. So let's let's talk about our own experiences of being discipled when we were younger and others were discipling us. So do you have any stories that jump to mind? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them, <laughs> um, which in the moment, right, were, were great moments. <laughs> but um, God really used in a, in a pretty powerful way. Um, I think early on, one of the things that, that you had challenged me on was um, – What's, how are you honoring the Lord with your finances? Um, and at the point, at that time you were, um, working at a machine shop and working for, um, really a great boss who loved you and loved your family and was, was also a believer and wanted to see you succeed. Um, but you're also raising funds to go on staff with the navigators and, and really become a full-time missionary. And, um, I, I just remember, you know, I think you really said it one time, but you know, how are you honoring the Lord with your finances? Do you give it all? Um, it was very, it was very frank, very clear to the point. Um, 
And then, and then you use some examples of uh, other people that you'd seen and even things that your mentor shared with you that um, really you can tell what's important to people by how they spend their money. And uh, so I was a young soldier at that point and had BAH and was living with a roommate, had plenty of money, you know, as, as a young soldier, didn't really have any expenses. And uh, I knew that I needed to honor the Lord in that way. Um, and so I think it was very, it was very timely for me. And obviously um, it was led to the Lord by you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's an early one that I can remember maybe, I don't know, five or six weeks into our relationship. Yeah. You know, the one that I remember with you and I, and I don't know if you'll even remember this, I think you had gotten out of the service, but we were still primarily working with military people. And I can't remember if you grew out a goatee or a mustache, but I was challenging you on shaving your mustache. Do you remember this? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, it was pretty creepy looking too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might've been a goatee, but I, you know, it sounds silly to most people, but that was actually a big deal. And the whole the whole point was, and, and by challenge, I wasn't saying, hey, you need to shave this mustache off or I'm not going to disciple you. But it was just a, it was an issue of, hey, we're trying to reach people. It was probably a goatee because, you know, you can have a mustache in the military. Uh, so the idea was you're trying to reach people. And if you're if you're coming up to a stranger on base and you've got a goatee, then Im- immediately there's at least one step of, of distance between you and that person. And it's not that you're trying to be deceptive and pretend like you're in the service. It's just that first impression, those first 15 seconds of a conversation, you know, is having facial hair worth um, creating that little bit, that little bit of gap with this other person. The reason why it stands yeah. out to me is because you really pushed back on that. Like you I think you had been in the military for a while. You wanted to grow some facial hair. Initially, you didn't see that as, as a big deal. Like, hey, I should be able to grow facial hair. And so it was worth having the conversation because there was the, the bigger principle was Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 saying, I become all things to all men, that I do everything for the sake of the gospel. So um, if you challenge, if, if I challenge you in that simple little area, but there's a principle behind it and you take it, you wrestle with it and you come back and you say, you know what, I've really, I've wrestled with this and I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think I have the freedom to have this goatee. Then me as a disciple maker, I'm going to say, okay, like I trust the Holy Spirit. I trust you. I, I know that you've wrestled with this issue. You, you heard the challenge, you received it and you responded to it in a healthy way. In that case, you really didn't like it, but I, I think a week or two later, you came back and you said, like, I, I, think, I think it's right. I think I need to shave this. And so it's a very small example, but I want to share that one because I want people yeah. to understand that we're not necessarily talking about like huge challenges, but just as a pattern in your disciple making, are you willing to bring up things that the, the younger believer maybe doesn't want to hear, but you're trying to help them connect their, their real everyday life with the principles that, that we're finding in scripture. And as a disciple maker at that time, um, I was convinced that this is something that I needed to at least bring up, that it was a conversation that we needed to have rather than just saying like, well, that's not a big deal. Like, um, for, for me, and that's, that's another principle for a disciple maker is that you, like you said, you need to be trusting the Holy spirit to guide you about the, the issues that you want to bring up. Yeah, it's really good. It, what, what's interesting is it, it didn't have to be an argument or a fight. It was, hey, this is something I'm seeing. This is why I'm thinking it. Here's the biblical principle. 
do business with God. You know, that's, I think that's the beautiful thing here is that it's something that could go completely unaddressed. And maybe it is, maybe it is a small thing, but it's helping people bring out deeper understandings of the principles in which we live our lives by. Mm -hmm. And and the world really is hungry for that. Um, There's plenty of teaching. You you can exhaust, you can exhaust every moment of your day listening to a message Mm -hmm. Um, listening to the Bible on audio, but what people aren't getting is people challenged and very practical on this is how this principle may play out on your life. And this is why this is a secret trait of a disciple maker mm-hmm. of highly effective disciple makers is, is that they're bringing the scriptures and the principles of the scriptures directly into life. Right. And you cannot do that without challenging conversations. Right. So something as simple as shaving a goatee actually ends up becoming a deeper discussion on a, on a pretty important a topic on what's right. it look like to be all things to all men. When we had the conversation, I went into that anticipating that, well, this is, this is a pretty basic thing. Um, but your response was pretty strong. I was actually surprised by, um, how much pushback you gave on that, which in my mind was just an indication like, yeah, this is something that we needed to talk about in, at that time, in that moment. And looking yep. back now, I can see like, well, it's a much bigger issue because when you're in the military, so much of your life is controlled, uh, you have to conform in a lot of ways. Now that you're out and you could do anything uh, as a follower of Jesus, though, you still want to be led by the spirit and, and you want to control yourself, so to speak. Um, like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9, you still give up those freedoms for the sake of something higher, which is the gospel Amen. and uh, the mission Amen. that God has called us to. Well, my um, the story that came to my mind was when I first met uh, Cecil, the guy who ended up discipling um, me for seven years and, and is still someone who's very influential in my life, um, I was living quite a ways from where he was. And so I would go out, I would drive down weekly to, to be part of their, their Thursday evening Bible study. And I was learning a lot, but because of the, the, the time or the, the, the mileage di- distance between where I was living and, and where he was located, it was really hard to do that life on life, um, have, have that kind of life on life relationship that you were talking about earlier, John. So after about nine months of, of coming out once a week to their uh, Bible study and then going about the rest of my week, trying to put into practice the, the things that I was picking up during that one nightly Bible study, um, I can remember Cecil pulled me aside after one of the Bible studies and he said, well, hey, whenever you're ready to, to get serious about training, you know, let's have a conversation. And uh, I thought that was kind of a weird comment. You know, I, I felt like I was very serious that I'd been showing up faithfully every week and doing the Bible studies and then trying to put it into practice in, in other parts of my life. But two or three weeks in a row afterwards, he would have this little, this little conversation, kind of the same conversation over and over, like, Hey, I'd really like to train you. Um, if that's something you're interested in, let me know. So finally I told him, um, I don't know what you're asking me to to consider. Like, I don't know what this training thing is that you're talking about. So you're going to have to, I'm doing everything I know to do. If there's something else that you're hoping I'll do, I need you to spell it out. And so he said, well, why don't you and Cindy come over for dinner? Uh, next week. So we did. And we had dinner with Cecil and his wife, Jeannie. And that was a, uh, that was on a Wednesday night, if I remember right. But in that conversation, he, he basically laid it out that, Hey, what we want to do is actually share life with you. We want you guys to move down to the Clarksville area 
and jump in with both feet to what we're doing. Uh, we, we actually want to do ministry together and we're willing to do that. We're willing to invest in you guys. But then the challenge was, he said, you know, if that's not something that you guys are interested in, I don't really see a need for you to keep coming out to the weekly Bible study. And so that was the part that was like, <laughs> Whoa. I think we're being uninvited <laughs> from this Bible study. Um, and that had, I had never experienced that. I had never experienced someone um, willing to say, here's what we're offering. You've had nine months to kind of learn. I think you've learned as much as you can in that posture, but we'd love to invest and go deeper. If you're not willing to do that though, then there's really no need for you to keep coming out. So for us, that was a huge turning point in our lives. Even now, like I'm in San Diego, California, because Cecil had that conversation with me because everything that was a fork in the road that forced us to really consider do we have this couple who are willing to disciple us? They're the only ones we know right now who are willing to disciple us, but they're challenging us to take this step so that we can be in a position to get that training. Are we willing to do that? And if we're not, we can't just, we can't just stall because they're basically telling us, you know, fish or cut bait, um, you know, make this commitment or there's really no need to keep coming out. And so um, without going into more of that story, obviously we eventually um, agreed that, hey, this is something that we want. We do want to be discipled in this way. And so we, uh, we moved and that started a six-year life-on-life um, life discipling from Cecil and Jeannie, which has deeply marked my life. Something that Cecil once said that was related to this is that, um, you know, we want the front door to be as wide and open as possible. Anyone who wants to can come in and be part of this community and learn about Jesus. Um, but our back door is just as big. <laughs> so if you come into the community sure. and we're challenging people to love and follow Jesus, and if at some point that's not something they want to do, we're not trying to grow a big group. We're not trying to hang on to people who who ultimately don't want to follow Jesus or aren't willing to obey him. Um, we're willing to let people walk out the back door as well. And I experienced that in my own life. And um, it was, you know, God used that to, to really help me take the next step in maturing. Amen. Thankful for that rebuke. I wouldn't be here <laughs> or the Lord would have used a way different path for, to help us get there. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about this, we, we've used two lordship examples, mm. basically understanding a biblical principle and how much of, of God's authority are we are we recognizing in our lives. But but this idea of hard conversations is even more important when it comes to the area of sin. Um, so, so so often we suspect um we see or or think that we know that that sin is happening and, and someone we're discipling, and then we just kind of let it go. So what actually becomes normal in our, what can become normal in our communities when we're not willing to risk the relationship and have these dis- difficult conversations is people actually get this impression, well, well, Christians talk a big game about being holy, sanctified, set apart for the Lord. But the reality is, well, it's just kind of, they, they kind of just talk about that. It's not really true yeah. about that community. You know, so 
oftentimes I just say, well, have you talked to them about that? You know, <laughs> like, Hey, so-and-so is this, or so-and-so is that, or I think this right. is going on. Right. Um, and so, so often in, in churches and in our Bible studies and some of the communities that, that some of our folks are leading sin, active sin is happening. We know it's happening. We just kind of let it go because we're not willing right. to say we're concerned. Right. So being being doing both and in this when it comes to the areas of, of disciple making is we have to hate sin the way Jesus loves sin and the way Jesus loves sin as he called it out. Right. Um, and there's tons and tons of, mm-hmm. of examples of that in the scriptures. And then his disciples, folks that we study in the New Testament beyond, there's tons and tons of examples where those those men are very actively calling out sin right. in the lives of the disciples. So we, we don't want to be this group. Um, we already own the narrative. If we're honest, we have to own the narrative that Christians are hypocritical. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's what's pushed on us, whether we want to do it, whether we want that or not, or whether it's true or not. But if we don't call out sin, it will be true of us. That, right. that will be a fact. No, I, I agree. We had a young couple... Uh, approach us a, a couple years back and um, they were fairly new to our community to, to our church and the the girl wanted to be baptized and so you know we had dinner with them and she had expressed this desire hey I, I, I love what I'm learning and I, I want to be baptized and um, they weren't married and I suspected that they were probably sleeping together so I just asked her, are, are you guys sleeping together? This is like, I, I see your relationship that you guys are obviously very close. You're expressing that you want to follow Jesus and you're asking me to baptize you. So let's just have this conversation about your relationship with each other. Um, before we kind of talk about really taking the next step in your relationship with Jesus, especially one of baptism where you're really surrendering your life to him. And so <laughs> that probably wasn't the question that she was expecting uh, need to ask, <laughs> but it led to a great conversation about God's purpose for men and women and marriage and the sexual relationship and how it all fits. And so, um, it ended up that she decided not to be baptized. <laughs> so at least at that time that she wasn't ready to take that step. And for me, that's, that's a win because what we're trying to do, like you said, is we're, we're trying to not just talk a good game, but we're trying to help people connect the dots between um, what the scripture teaches and how they're living their lives. And to say that we, we don't want to have this dichotomy where we say we believe one thing, but our life is uh, demonstrating something else. So I agree, John, that we need to be willing to have those, those tough, uh, tough conversations around really personal issues. And again, at the right time, it was something that this, this couple have been part of our, our church for uh, several weeks. I suspected that that was happening. It wasn't something that I was going to come out of the gate with. But if someone comes and says, hey, I want to be baptized, then, okay, well, let's let's have this conversation um, at this point. So, well, let's talk yeah. about um, the scriptures. And specifically, this is all good. We've seen it in our own lives. We've observed it in highly effective disciple makers. But do we see it in the scriptures? And especially, do we see Jesus having these kinds of conversations? Yeah, I, I think just generally speaking, it's it's woven all through the scriptures. In fact, you see how the spirit comes upon the prophets to, to bring the people close to God and bring God's message to the people. Right. So often as you read through the Old Testament, you just see rebukes, um, challenges, um, il- illustrations, ways to help the people think about how they're dishonoring God with how they're living their lives. Um, you know, there's all kinds of examples all through the New Testament as well. So, 
it, it's hard to pick out even just a few of those. But um, <laughs> what, one of the things I think is interesting is, is that we've talked about this. If we're going to be everything that God calls us to be, God uses his people as his um, – that, that's the, the vehicle he's determined is going to be the way that people get to know him. He's decided to use us as probably more for our benefit than his, right? He doesn't need mm-hmm. us, but he lets us be a part of it. Um, that was one of the things we rejoiced over in prayer this morning. You and I, we get to be a part of that. So one of the passages that came to mind, and then we'll zoom in on Jesus. It's always good to, to make sure that Jesus is our focal point. But one of the passages that came to mind was just the Ephesians 4 passage. Hmm. Um, and it talks about how there's all these different types of giftings, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and this is a verse 11, but the, the whole point of those is, is that the, the body would be equipped, that the saints would be equipped for every good work, anything that happens. And what generally happens with those gifts and those thoughts is, well, I'm an apostle or I'm a prophet. Mm-hmm. You know, many people would say, Hey, John, you're a shepherd, you know, mm-hmm. and this is how you operate. And this is what your gifts are. Um, but if I understand the point of all of those gifts and even gifts that are that exist in the kingdom are even listed in that passage. I'll understand that the whole point of my existence is so that the body of Christ is equipped is right. equipped to be mature. Right. So I don't get to, Jesus didn't choose whether I'm just an apostle, you know, mm-hmm. or I'm just a prophet, you know, and sometimes we actually kind of just push back and sit back and say, you know, well, there's prophets around me. I'll let them be the truth tellers. And then mm-hmm. I can be the person that kind of comes alongside and comforts them. Right. Um, that was a pretty pretty handily rebuke I received at some point as well. So <laughs> you'd be everything that God's called you to be, not just to kind of a particular portion of it. Right. So I, I like that passage. And, and one of the phrases it uses, this is um, 415. Um, I'll actually read it for us. Um, I'd really encourage uh, our folks just to kind of go through that passage. But he talks about how we're supposed to mature and grow up. And that maturity allows us to be the fullness of Christ, and we're no longer tossed to and fro by the winds um, and waves of deceitful schemings and human cunning. Then he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the goal is to be like Jesus one of the key pathways we get there is we speak the truth in love. Um, that speaking the truth in love allows every single like joint, ligament, sinew, everything that touches the body to grow and mature. Mm. And I, I don't think there's any way that happens without the speaking the truth in love. Right. Um, there's no way each joint and part of the body fires to its complete capabilities without us being willing to say, hey, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, I'm really concerned about this thing. This is something right. that I really want to ask you to pray about yeah. or, or just to straight up say, hey, biblically, I don't think that's true. You may be in an area of sin here. So, yeah, I think a little bit later in that chapter, just to just to put the cap on that. Verse 29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building up according to the need of the moment that it may give Amen. grace to those who hear. And that's really like, what does it mean to speak the truth in love? Well, is what I'm speaking building people up into the image of Christ? And is it the need of the moment? So we would think of an, an unwholesome word as probably something crude or, or coarse, um, or maybe even just uh, shallow. But here, an unwholesome word, the opposite of that is words that lead to building up people into the image of Christ 
and words that fit the the moment, the need of the moment. So if we're thinking about speaking the truth in love, like you said, it's not just making people feel good about themselves, although that is one aspect of speaking the truth in love is to comfort and, and to encourage people. Um, but there are other aspects where the need of the moment is, is to challenge, is to help people see the bigger picture and to encourage them to obey, to obey the, the clear dictates of scripture or to obey the spirit's leading in their life. So uh, I like the Ephesians Amen. 4 passage, yeah. but like you said, there, there are a lot of passages from Jesus himself where we see this. So you had mentioned one before we started recording out of Matthew 16, kind of a famous, infamous passage yeah. there. And we were, we were joking how Peter seems to be at the, the heart of several <laughs> of these passages, but we'll loop back to sure that. Does. We'll loop back to that yep. because I think there's actually a, a pretty cool principle there. But my, Matthew 16, what, what are your thoughts there with Jesus? Yeah. So I, I think some, in some ways we think rebuke is only needed when, you know, when someone's all jacked up and everything's all jacked up in their life. You know, this passage in Matthew 16, it, it's, it's actually really just a couple of verses from each other, kind of finest moment versus <laughs> deepest, darkest moment for, for Peter, you know? Right. Um, so, the, you know, that passage in 13 through 20, um, Jesus is very clearly asking Peter, who, who do people say that I am? It's like, well, this, you know, some people are saying this or that. And then he finally says, well, who do you say that I am? And, and Simon Peter in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter's on track. He understands who Jesus is. Right. Even when the people are saying something else about Jesus, he knows exactly yeah. what is true about mm -hmm. Jesus. And then well, just, just a few verses later um, in 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, uh, be raised again. And then verse 22 of 16, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, mm -hmm. saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. <laughs> verse 23, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And boy, poor Peter, I just, I can't imagine. He, and, you know, he's got a, a bunch of these. <laughs> right. Um, Peter, Peter's got a bunch of these examples. But um, but what I love about it is you not just see the rebuke, but you also see the principle behind the rebuke here with Jesus. Yes. You know, he, he so Peter is thinking he's going to rebuke the Lord. So that's that's probably a problem, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But then when, Pete, when Jesus responds to him, he says, you have to get behind me your hindrance because you're thinking principally wrong. Right. You're thinking about what you want and what maybe this earthly kingdom still, but, but God has something different in store. Um, so Jesus very clearly was risking the relationship uh, with Peter, where Peter could walk and say, man, this guy's a jerk or he doesn't get it. Or man, mm -hmm. what is this guy like a masochist? He wants to die. Well, what's his deal? Well, we're never going to get this earthly kingdom we've been praying for. Is this even the Messiah? All these things can run through Peter's mind. Right. But Jesus knows that he has to challenge him on getting the things of God on his mind, not the things of man. Yeah. Yeah. You see that where Jesus on the one hand is affirming Peter, um, blessed are you, flesh and blood has yeah. not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And so that was very, that was speaking the truth in love, um, affirming that, yes, you know, this is, you're seeing this part clearly. And then, like you said, just a few verses later, he's having to rebuke him because he's, he's hindering the work that Christ needs to do because he's not setting his mind on the things of the Lord, but uh, on the things of man. Another one that came to mind was out of John 6 and... 
you know, that's a very famous passage where Jesus, it starts off in chapter six, that, that he has a great crowd of people following him. It's where he feeds the 5,000. So at least 5,000 people, a lot of folks believe that it was closer to 10,000 because it was 5,000 men. There were probably women and children there as well. And Jesus is very successful, very popular, uh, so much so that they want to make him king. He has to hide and escape so that they don't make him king by force. But later, just a few days later, um, the same crowd finds him and Jesus challenges them. It's the passage where he says that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, um, you cannot be my disciples. And the disciples, <laughs> we actually know what their response was to that. Like many of his disciples, it says that this is a difficult saying, who can listen to it? So Jesus was telling them something that didn't make sense at all. It went against all of their instincts to, to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And Jesus, at least in this episode, he did not, he did not back off and say like, well, what I'm really talking about guys is it, this is all symbolism. Um, he just held the line, no, you have to eat my flesh, you have to drink my blood. The result was that it says that many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus absolutely risked the relationship with, with those disciples. These weren't just people in the crowd. It says many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Then he turns to the 12 and he says, do you also want to go away? And, you know, you have to, when you're reading the Bible, you have to try to infer, you know, how did Jesus say that? Was, was he worried? Like, oh man, I've only got 12 left. Um, I don't, I don't think he was. I think he was just telling them, hey, this is the standard. This is the teaching. Do you also want to go away? And here's, I, I would say, a shining moment for Peter, <laughs> because he's the one that speaks Amen. up. He says, no. Lord, nope. to whom shall we go? Um, you have words of eternal life. So, it wasn't that Peter and the, the disciples understood the, the 12. It wasn't that they understood this teaching and the others didn't, but their, their baseline commitment to Jesus was strong enough that they were going to stick with him even when, even when they didn't understand. And I think there's a good, there's a good principle there about challenging that if you don't challenge, you never learn who are the disciples that are going to walk away and who are the ones who are going to stay following Jesus? Without that challenge in John 6, Jesus has whatever, 5,000 disciples. Right. Which are the ones that he's going to really trust to, to build the kingdom on? Because that was Jesus and the 12. That, those were the ones who we see in the book of Acts carrying the work forward. Yeah, so good, Andrew. The, you know, just, just the general idea that Jesus is obviously the example. Um, we, we fight so much for him, not just to be an icon, not mm -hmm. just to be a symbol, but instead he's our example for life and ministry. And this is how, this is exactly how he lived his life. Um, the father says it, he does it. Right. Um, so just this, this idea, this rebuke, the challenge that was there, it's all a part of him just being in this normal everyday practice of Jesus connecting with the father. The father tells him to say or do something and he does it. And, um, you know, we can't get in the head of the, the head or the mind of Christ, though. That's what we're trying to do always. Mm -hmm. um, um, but his perspective, I think, is very good. And this is another example from Jesus in, in chapter 12 of John. Um, this is verse 49. I'll just read it for us. It, for I've not spoken on my own authority, but the Father has sent me, has given mm -hmm. me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. 
And so just this picture, you know, some versions translate that what to say and how to say it even. Hmm. Um, so when you use this phrase, speaking the truth and love, what to say and how to say it. Um, mm-hmm. But that we would have that same mind of Christ where we're connecting deeply with the Father. The Holy Spirit is guiding what we should say. And then not only what we should say, but how we should say it to those that are around us. And then we can trust on the back end. Right. And really, ultimately, that's what, what Jesus modeled the most was, I'm going to say what the Father has given me to say. I'm going to do what the Father has given me to do. And I'm going to trust in the men whom he's given me that, that his will will be done. Yeah. Well, why don't we give some final thoughts here, John, as, as we wrap up? Um, maybe some practical tips that, that people can keep in mind um, as they try to be more faithful at challenging those they're discipling, even to the point of risking the relationship. And we've got uh, a short video that we'll put a link to here on the three A's of challenging. So if folks want to get some of those principles, but let's list some of them here as well. One of them that we talked about before we started recording was the the necessity to be in prayer as the disciple maker. You know, Mm -hmm. Jesus was praying for his men constantly. We know that um, because Jesus goes out and he says it several times. And we also need to be praying for those that we're discipling. And I would say we need to be praying for them before, during, and and after uh, we issue a challenge. Um, One, we need to be praying just to discern, Lord, is this really, am I seeing this right? Is this an area that I need to bring up and, and issue a challenge in? Um, just as you were saying there from, from John, was that John 12, uh, 49? Yeah, 12, 49. Yeah. So, so again, Jesus was speaking what he had heard from the father. So we want to be praying, Hey, am I seeing this the right way? Is this something that I need to bring up? And then praying that God would give our, our young disciples the grace to be able to hear and receive that message and process it in a healthy way. Um, what are, what are some other principles of challenging that, that you would want to highlight, John? Yeah. The first one I'd say is, is that you you have to, you kind of have to get out of your own way. You've got a a way in your mind of thinking about who you are and how God's designed you. Um, one of the best gifts the Lord ever gave me was he, you, God had called you all to Fort Lewis, which Hmm. at that time was actually even hard to imagine doing life and ministry without you and Cindy and, and Jess and I's life. Right. Um, but he also happened to deploy so many of our good men overseas all at the exact same time. Right. Um, most of which were excellent exhorters. So mm. my ability is to kind of be a shepherd and kind of work behind the scenes and let them be a catalyst in the ministry completely disappeared. Right. So those so, guys so were there basically, was. they were challenging people and then you could come in afterwards yeah. and sort of pick up the pieces yeah. and, and help people. And it, it was good. Like God exactly. was using that. Absolutely. That was a beautiful picture of the body working together, but what it had done for me is it allowed me to just kind of settle into, you know, Mr. Nice Guy, basically kind of, oh, you know, shepherd and just kind of keep everything calmly together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very clear that God was bringing things to mind over and over again that I needed to bring up um, in the lives of those disciples who remained. And it was a younger crowd at that point, too. So there were many things to address. So first thing I'd say is just practically you have to reimagine, be all of Jesus um, and there's nothing wrong with understanding your giftedness and understanding how God's designed you, what your preferences are, what your giftedness might be. But there is something wrong if it pushes you away from being all that Jesus has called you to be. Right. Um, so I need to do what's right that suits the moment, like our Ephesians 4 t- talk to us. So right. you have to reimagine how, mm-hmm. how you think about yourself. And that's to be faithful. 
be led by the spirit and say what God gives you to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's, I think that's a, actually a pretty big one. Um, and I'm thankful for God kind of setting up the chessboard to help me learn that. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good thing to, I guess the filter that I would say with that, John, is we're wanting to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So he's our model. So like you said, we want to be all aspects of Jesus, uh, not just the comforting, but the willingness to challenge. And then we need to be focused on what is the need. So it, in both of those, like you, who, what comes naturally to you, what's comfortable to you, what your strengths are, fades into the background. And what comes to the Amen. fore is how did Jesus handle situations like this? And what does this person need from me? And if, if, if you let yourself be guided by those things, even if it's not comfortable, you can have uh, confidence to step forward and to have those hard conversations because, again, you're coming from a good place. You're, you're coming from a place of wanting to follow faithfully in the footsteps of Jesus and being convinced that this is a conversation that this person needs to hear for their own sake and for their own growth as a follower of, of Jesus. How about sharing the, um, the three A's? This was something that you and I sort of came up with uh, really on the fly, but we were actually meeting with a third younger believer and having a conversation around you know, how to be more effective at, uh, for him, discipling the people that he was reaching out to. And um, I think the Holy Spirit probably just gave us this, these three A's but it's something that we've held on to and, and tried to encourage others to think through. So do you remember the, uh, the three A's of accountability or of, of challenging? I just gave away the third one. <laughs> the, the three A's of uh, challenging and um, how they can be helpful as a framework for people when they're, when they're trying to, to do challenges like this. Yeah. And, and you said, we'll, we'll put a video in. Um, but before we go to the three A's, I think the baseline be, right before it is um, redefining what love looks like. Um, so one of the phrases that we used early on in the ministry where we partnered together with Nate Bowers and so many early on was, if you love, you will say it. If you love those around you, you will bring up the hard truths. Because so much of the culture around us was, well, the way you love is you just kind of get along, go along to get along. No one has to right. say anything. So that, I actually remember that being a part of our time together mm-hmm. with this young man was that this is remarkably loving to bring up these truths. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's I think that's when you made the three A's up on the spot, I think. Yeah. They just, is that how it went down? I, I think yeah, it was. I mean, it was definitely not something that we had uh, used in the past, but again, I, I find this happens a lot in disciple making. If you're just in it for years, uh, the, I, I learn so much when I'm teaching. And I think it's because the Holy Spirit is just in that moment, um, giving you ways of communicating truth, um, which is super exciting as a follower of Jesus yeah, to, to be trying to share yeah. and to not necessarily have the words and then and then suddenly to have the words because they're not necessarily, well, they're not coming from you. They're coming from lessons that God has been teaching you. And then in that moment, the spirit is giving you, but yeah, the, the, the three A's that people should, should think through when they're challenging. The first is it's action oriented. So even in these illustrations that we've shared today, there were, there were clear actions that needed to take place. There were, there were parts Mm -hmm. of our lives that were out of step with God's purpose. And we had people who were willing to to bring those up. Um, so it's not, um, you know, when you're challenging, it's it's based on 
the life of a disciple, living as a disciple. Um, and then the second one is, do you remember? Bro, you got the roll. I'm, <laughs> I'm blanking. I'm blanking. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> no, that's okay. So uh, the, 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 the first challenge is that it is uh, action-based. The second is that you, you need to give people an assignment. So there needs to yep. be a clear, um, so like for me, when CISA was challenging me, the action was clear. Um, and then the assignment was to move down. So the, the action was put yourself in a position to be discipled in a life on life way. That was what, that's what I needed clarity. I want to ask him what, what is it that you mean by training? So he gave the clear action and the, then the assignment was, um, move down and put all your eggs in this basket, like fully commit to this community and to this training relationship. And then the third A is accountability, which in that instant, yeah. again, was, I guess I could have kept coming out and not moved down, but it would have been pretty awkward. You know, every time that I would see Cecil, like, hey, yep, I'm still coming out, but I haven't moved down. So there was some accountability built into that challenge that Cecil gave me. So keep it action-based, um, have a clear assignment that people can do or not do. And then, yep. you know, when I had this conversation with the young woman who wanted to be baptized, the assignment was scripture say that you should either get married or move out, you know, stop sleeping together. If, if you want to be baptized and, and declare yourself as a full follower of Jesus. So the assignment needs to be very clear in terms of what what needs to happen. And then there needs to be some accountability and some, some follow through, some checking back um, with those that, uh, that were challenging. Yeah. So good, man. They, what, what I love about all of these things are I'm connecting with God. I believe this is what God's asking me to bring to your attention. And I'm also trusting you to go back to God right. and wrestle it through with him. Right. And, and just even like our conversation, like or even your conversation with Cecil wasn't like as if the very next time you saw Cecil, you're like, hey, we got a house right. right around the corner from you. It was, man, I'm really wrestling through what you challenged me with. And he was actually practically helping you make steps to kind of get into town. Right. So it actually, this, this idea of accountability isn't just, hey, I'm just going to lay it out there. Bam, you have to do exactly everything I say. It's right. you guys together now enter in this conversation where you're trying to more fully understand what God has in store. Um, so uh, I think that's important to remember and a disciple maker always has in the back of their mind, like I may be wrong here. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then the disciple has in their mind, I can go to God, do business with God. So <clears throat> I'd say that's the, the other kind of beautiful thing that comes to this is this is a normal part of your community and the people, everybody's trusting God to hear from God. Right. And there can be a whole lot of freedom as long as we're not mean about the way we send our rebukes and challenges what we have is, Hey, I really appreciate you bringing up. That was remarkably kind and loving. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that's the right course of action for me in this season of my life. And it's mm -hmm. man, Everybody's good at that point rather than, well, you didn't do what I say. So you're out of here. Right. You know? um, <laughs> that's a, that's a great so like, point. Especially if you're get out of challenging here, you know? people around now, if there's clear disobedience, I think there it's, it's yes. the accountability is like, well, Hey, the scriptures are pretty clear. So how can you make, I, I need to hear from you. How can you make two plus two equal five? If you're saying that you can continue to, to keep sleeping with your, your boyfriend, I need you to come back and explain that to me. Like, cause I, I right. can show you from scriptures where I'm coming from, but you're right. A lot of these challenges, like if you had come back 
after wrestling about shaving your goatee and said, I just don't feel any conviction on this at all, Andrew. Okay, that, that's all I really want is for you to wrestle with the principle of um, becoming all things to all men. And if you've done that and you have peace, uh, you know, another one, I was challenging a young guy on honoring God with his money. And, um, you know, most of us don't know what other people are doing with their money. And so he, he heard the principles and he came back and he explained that, you know, a lot of his, his pay was going back to support his mom, who was, um, dad was not around. His mom needed his support. And right. that's awesome. Like, hey, you're on, the scriptures are very clear that you should, that's a way of honoring God is by taking care of your parents who are in need. So again, like I don't have a, in that instance, I don't have a specific, the principle is honoring God <laughs> with your money. Um, right. it's not, Hey, I want you to give to a certain cause or a certain ministry, or I don't, I want you yeah. to give in a certain way. The principle is, are you honoring God with your money? And as we have this conversation, um, you know, that was a great conversation of, Hey, let me affirm you that I think you're doing the right thing there by, by making such a sacrifice to provide for your mom and to take care of her, to, to take care of her. The Bible, the Bible, uh, promotes that. And that's a, that's a good thing that you're doing. Amen. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, I'd say the very last thing that I would like to give is particularly for those who are reluctant rebukers or challengers or those who struggle to kind of share hard truths is that what tends to happen is you recognize something that needs to be addressed and you're just reluctant to do it over and over and over again. Well, eventually you just get angry and then you actually would rebuke someone out of your own anger or you're frustrated. Um, and so you actually have lost the chance to be obedient to God. Right. By just bringing a truth. And generally that's not going to be received well because you're sending that challenge out of anger and frustration mm -hmm. rather than mm -hmm. out of obedience to the Lord. So for those of you who are, are, are probably that are wired a little more like me, those those instances, you, you, you've you got to what's it, you have to press into obedience so you don't miss the, the, the opportunity to help your brothers and sisters. Mm. Because generally what will happen is you'll just get mad. And usually you're frustrated at yourself for not being obedient. And then everybody else has to pay hmm. for your anger and frustration. So I, I do think that's a practical thing. So if this is something you struggle with, um, work hard to be obedient. Make sure it's not personal. Right. And say, hey, there's something I think the Lord is asking me and leading me to bring up to you. That's a good word. Uh, really, this idea of challenging and risking the relationship involves obedience on both sides. It's it's our willingness to obey right. um, God's instructions for us to speak the truth in love. And then, of course, the person who's hearing and receiving the challenge, they have to go back to the Lord and decide whether or not they're going to obey what it is that the Spirit is leading them to do. So, well, John, thanks, man. This is, uh, I think it's going to be a fun series where we're talking about the secret traits of highly effective disciple makers. This first one on challenging disciples and risking the relationship. Um, it's, it's so constant in the people that we see in scripture and the people that we've seen in real life as, as a trait that will make yeah, or sure break is. your, your disciple making that I think this is a natural place to start, but, uh, we'll have some future episodes where we'll, uh, we'll talk about other traits of highly def effective disciple makers. So thanks for uh, coming on and sharing your wisdom today. Yeah, man. Great being with you. This is going to be fun. Looking forward to it, brother.